Amen. Well, good to have us uh, all gathered together. Uh, I was just telling some of the brothers before the service started that um, isn't it great to have some Siberian air? Amen. This is not just Arctic air, brother, and this is Siberian air, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Very, as Gina put it, very refreshing, very refreshing. And so, uh, as uh, as was prayed and said, I'm thankful too for the Lord and His gloriousness. These seasons that we are seeing uh, will continue on, brethren, until when? Until he brings it to an end. And so we woke up this morning, snow in the air, cold as uh, all the britches outside, and uh, here we are blessed, brother, to be gathered together with his word in, in our hands. Amen. And uh, as we again take up the word of God here in the book of Acts, in God's inspired narrative, as brother Howard has just said, his inspired, if you will, accounting of the edifice and the building of his early churches, which, brethren, you and I are still this morning a part of, still seeing and unfolding. If, if you're a Bible-believing church and you're gathered together as the Bible directs, we are still, brethren, amazingly a part of what we're reading here, a part of that which God founded, which God has promulgated down now through the ages of time, which is really quite an amazing thing. But we remember that Paul uh, finds himself in Ephesus. The Lord had led him there to Ephesus where he has been disputing, which uh, Paul does a lot of. Amen. We see this throughout the book. He was, he's been disputing. He's been dialoguing, if you will, with the Jews and with many others, thoroughly discussing and preaching the word of the Lord Jesus daily. Brother, again, this is important. Amen. Every day he was in where? The school of Tyrannius. It's an amazing thing there as we looked at that. Now, little is known about or even written about Tyrannius, except that he's used by God here. And again, brothers, this is always the work of the Holy Spirit of God. This is always what God is doing. Little is known of him. Very little is known, except that he had this school and that he had, if you will, predisposed Paul. He had predisposed to give Paul permission, amen, to sit in this school of his in this, if you will, to catechize the city of Ephesus concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think of that for a moment, brother. Just God's sovereign hand again working as he is letting Paul sit there, as he's letting him teach there, as he's letting them preach there. He's catechizing them in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is most needful as we're going to see. It is here, brethren, in the midst of this school that God had opened the door for Paul to catechize them concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, that Luke again picks up his inspired pen this morning for us and commences to draw our religious effects. I like those words. You know, uh, many of the old Puritans use that word a lot, our religious affection. Jonathan Edwards, these men, these are things, brethren, that the Spirit of God draws us towards his word. These are religious affections, those things that are holy, those things that are good, those things that are spoken of in the word of God. He draws our religious affections this morning to another <laughs> demonstration of God's. And again, brethren, this is all about the Spirit of God and what Father God is doing to build his church. God's distinguishing, and listen, brethren, and unique his distinguishing, and that's important, brethren, again, his distinguishing and his unique determinate power. So in other words, what that means is whatever God has decided, whatever he has predetermined, it will come to pass, brother, no matter uh, what men might say. And we see that here in our text, which is quite amazing. Look there, if you would, at verse number 11. And we're going to begin there this morning. Acts 19, look at verse number 11. Uh, brother Howard has uh, read that for us. But let us read that together. 
And God wrought special miracles. I want you to get a hold of that, brother. Amen. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, brethren, we were just talking this morning, me and a couple of brothers, about, you know, uh, demon possession and, and speaking in tongues and all of these gifts. One of the things we must always consider when we're looking here is God, in the case of, in the book of Acts, God has a transitional purpose and a holy design for what's going to take place, brother. Never forget that. The book of Acts is a book of transition. You have to remember that. Remember now, we've talked about this before. Baptism is a good example of one where one does not build, okay? You can learn from it. You can glean from it. But you cannot build your doctrine concerning baptism in the book of Acts. Because it appears in the book of Acts at times that they're baptized, if you don't understand scripture, for the remission of their sins. And no, brother, that cannot be further from the truth. It's the same thing here. When we see these glorious, special, the Bible says here, miracles wrought by the hands of God, that should draw our religious attention to something very, very important. Every sign, every wonder, every miracle in the transitional book of Acts has a purpose and a design by God. Amen. And this is what we must consider contextually, as we always say. Now, we, we already know, brethren, the Spirit has already revealed many of these miracles, specific miracles that we've seen. 20 of them to be, uh, if you want to count the number of them in the book of Acts, but 20 specific miracles, many of them which we've already looked at. Amen. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, the tongues of cloven fire? That is a miracle of God. We saw there the lame man healed in chapter 3, the sudden death of Ananias and Sapphira. That, that brethren, was a miracle of God and showing the people that God deserves reverence and awe. And we saw that. So we see these specific 20 of them throughout the book of Acts. Herod's violent death in Acts chapter 12 was indeed a miracle of God bringing about his glorious purposes. And, brethren, think of this for a moment. Sprinkle amongst all of the 20 specific miracles we see nine times where they come in mass in the book of Acts. Well, what do you mean it comes in mass? Well, again, just to remind us, many wonders and signs in Acts chapter 2, many signs and wonders in Acts chapter 5, the many miracles and wonders that God performed and wrought, if you will, my Barnabas and Paul in chapter 15. Remember, so these things are coming in mass in the book of Acts. There's specific ones. There's ones that are done in mass. But this morning, again, there's something that draws our particular religious affections to this. Luke records that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Pod. Now that word special is important to us this morning. It means extraordinary. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, as we've seen these miracles and these signs and these wonders that God has been doing, what is just an ordinary miracle? I mean, you know what I mean? To me, everything's extraordinary. When God does something, it is extraordinary. But he specifically says here that this is an extraordinary miracle that God is doing through the hands of Paul. And so that draws our attention, doesn't it? It literally means it's particularly in a manner beyond what is common. <laughs> it is not, if you will, something that is ordinary. It's uh, out of the course of things. In fact, if you look at verse 12, this is what he's talking about. This is what was taking place. This is the extraordinary that which is not the norm thing in the book of Acts that we see that was happening. Look at verse 12. See if you see what the Bible says there. So that from his body, okay, brother, now that word body there literally means the touching of the skin. 
literally, it's used one time. Go look it up. It's only used here in the book of Acts. It literally means the touching of his skin were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits, what? It's an amazing thing, went out from them. It's amazing, isn't it, brethren, as you consider this? In other words, what the Holy Spirit has written here through Luke, he's telling us, brethren, that God gave Paul the extraordinary power to heal from a distance, to heal from a distance. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, what was happening, brother? Literally, the people were taking handkerchiefs or aprons, the ones that had touched Paul's body, as I said, used one time here, literally his skin. And he was taking those, they were taking those aprons, those handkerchiefs, to wherever the sick were, to wherever the demon-possessed were, they just simply took them over there and touched them with the, with the, the cloth that had touched Paul, and what was happening? They were healed immediately. The diseases were gone. The evil spirits were gone. It's a stunning thing. The power of God here in this text is stunning when you consider it. In fact, when you consider who else was given this power to heal by distance, it is quite a stunning thing. I, I think many times, and I don't want to chase. Howard says, no, if you're going to chase a rabbit, chase next Sunday. Well, I'll do that maybe in here in a little bit. Uh, by the way, brother, we are meeting next Sunday. Next Sunday is the Lord's Day. Amen. Christmas, you have pastors all across the country, brethren, calling other pastors saying, let's not meet. Don't meet. We're going to celebrate Christmas with our families. No, it's the Lord's Day, brethren. We will be here. Okay. And by the way, the week after that is New Year's Day. We will be here, Lord willing. Amen. If I'm not here, you guys will be. Amen. We will be meeting. This is our family. Our family's here. Most of them come here, and we're glad to be together with you. I want you to see this, though, brethren, this special miracle, these miracles that Paul was indeed given the power of God to do. Look at John chapter 4, just a couple of portions of Scripture here. Uh, Paul here is in very good company with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Again, this is something that he was given the power to do, just as Jesus did here. Now, again, as we look at these things, at this transitional book, has the Bible been compiled? Are the New Testament letters that we have, have they been put together yet as we're moving? No, they have not. They have not been all put together yet. They are being written. Paul's writing them even as we're in the book of Acts, the book of Ephesians, First and Second Timothy, his, his uh, if you will, his, uh, his jailhouse letters, we call them, prison epistles. This stuff's all been being put together. And so, again, as God is affirming Paul as an apostle, let me just say this. Again, we were talking about this sort of thing, brethren. Nobody, nobody, let me say it again. I have, and I know brethren, who have tra traced this stuff like rabid dogs, okay, all over the world, all over the country. No one. We had a family here that took their, their, their lame child. Remember, he was in an accident. Remember that? Broke his neck, could not walk. Went to the Benny Hinn Crusade. Took, his, took their kid to the Benny Hinn Crusade. And he was kept so far back away from Benny Hinn, you couldn't even begin to understand it. They wanted nothing to do with it. You know why? Because they're fakes and frauds, just like we're going to see these exorcists, these, these Jewish exorcists that are coming. Because it, it's something that is supernatural. It's something that God does, and it's a special miracle here. Look at John chapter 4. Look here again. Healing 
from a distance. By the way, not one of them has ever been proven. Not one of Benny Hinn's, no one's, none of them. There's no proof. And yet, they continue to deceive and be utter mutterers of spells. That's what they are. It's a stunning thing, brethren. Their buildings are full. As Paul Washer said, God is giving them what their flesh desires. <laughs> That's all it is. Look at John chapter 4. Look at verse number 46 there, if you will. John chapter 4, look at verse number 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son, what? Liveth. Jesus went nowhere near there. Nowhere. He just simply spoke it from a long distance. Look at what takes place. Again, the Bible says here, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. They inquired, uh, then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believeth in his whole house. Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ miles away. He simply spoke it. This is a miraculous, mighty power and working of God from a distance. You know who else did? There's very few in the scriptures where anybody was healed from a distance. Jesus did it. Paul, obviously, as he's, these things are being taken off to those who are demon-possessed. And Peter did it. Look at Acts chapter 5. This is one we've looked at. But Peter, the Bible specifically says that and, and I want you to notice, who were Peter and Paul? Who were Peter and Paul? What were their titles? Apostles of who? Apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the apostles of the Lord Jesus, the real and true apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. Do I believe that God still heals? Yes, I do. Absolutely, positively. But those apostolic gifts that we're seeing unfold here to affirm that God's word is true and that, that, that those things have ceased, they begin to cease, cease even in the, in, in the scriptures, brethren. You realize that. It began to wane and wane and wander down as the word of God was put together and, and concealed and they were passing them around, reading the letters one to another. Hey, Trimophius, take a little wine for that stomach. Why didn't Paul just run on down there and heal him immediately? It is interesting, too, brethren, as we look at these miracles. You do realize that there were times during the period of the book of Acts when God chose not to heal, when God chose not to save Paul from his beatings and his shipwrecks and everything else. It's a stunning thing. They only want to look at the positive side, never at the, what, the five times he was beat with 40 stripes minus one. The times he met in the sea, the time that he was chased of the Jews and hunted down. They never want to talk about that. They just want to talk about these healings, but never that God also chose in the time of the book of Acts, during this period, not to. 
So we must consider then, what then is the purpose? What is the reason for it? Again, brethren, is to confirm. It is to affirm the message of Christ that's being preached by his apostle. That's what it is. Like I was telling the good brother here, if, you know, a man or a woman goes somewhere and they can suddenly speak Mandarin, and they've never studied Mandarin, that's tongues. That's a biblical definition of tongues. The brother going down to anywhere, some foreign country, and being able to speak without any studying, that's what tongues was. We looked at that in Acts chapter 2. It was, it's definitional. None of this hebidabah, hebidabah, handa, 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 yamaha, yamaha, kawasaki, kawasaki. None of that. It was the spreading of the word in their tongue. It's amazing, brethren. When we just simply, as we often say, as Spurgeon said, when one doesn't wander very far from the word, you won't wander very far. When you close the Bible and you have your own ideas, then you're going to wander. And wander they have absolutely, positively into the desert of destitution. A Christless gospel. It's stunning to behold, brethren. But we notice here again, look at Acts chapter 5, Peter healed from a distance. Anybody here this morning ever been able to confirm that a shadow of someone healed somebody? Did Benny Hinn's shadow heal somebody? Has these? No, there's no confirmation. This is all confirmed. Look at Acts chapter 5. Again, we see here, we've looked at it, but I just want to read it by way of reminder. Acts chapter 5, look at verse number 14. The Bible says, and, and believers were the more added unto the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them and might heal them of their diseases and all the things that were taking place. Here we have Peter, just his shadow going by. Brother, that is an apostolic sign gift. That doesn't happen. That's not something that is, uh, as I often say, that is not the norm. <laughs> the norm is now, brethren, as James directed us, right? In James chapter 5, any among, any among you sick? Call the elders of the church. Have them bring some oil and... Lay hands on you and pray for you. If, I, if you're sick, I pray you don't get sick. But if you do, and the sun is out, and I come over to your house, and Dean and Howard come to your house, and our shadows pass over you, I can promise you, <laughs> we do not have the power, the dunimus, the dynamite, to heal you with our shadows. There always has to be a distinction, always. Can God do it? Yes. Has he done it? Yes. But the distinction is now, is it the norm is it something that happens on a normal, regular basis? Now look at 2 Corinthians quick. Look what Paul says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And again, distinguishing between someone who's praying for, your, for you to get well. We've been praying diligently for several of our families, brethren, who have had major surgeries, who have had serious illnesses, We've been over to their homes. We've done James chapter 5. It's amazing. In fact, one of the men told me just recently that after we were there, that the Lord really began to open up doors to the right doctors, to the right place, for the right thing to happen. That, that's what God does. Amen? And it wasn't because my shadow was there. 
because it was dark and dim. I had no shadow. I don't even hardly have a shadow. There's a difference, brother, and apostolic signs are different than the ones that were indeed passed on into the church. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse number 11. Am I become a fool in glory? Yea, have compelled me. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commanded to you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. These are the signs, the things that we're reading in the book of Acts, the apostolic signs. Now, <clears throat> we don't have time. But if you go examine Mark chapter 16, which I preached through not too long ago, and you look at the list of things that Jesus said that those who believe in him were going to take place. What was one of them? In fact, we're, we're, we haven't got to it yet, but one of them was they could drink poison and what? And not die. What happened to the Apostle Paul? Sticks his hand into some sticks, big old venomous snake grabs on, and they're all going, oh, he got delivered from the sea, but these other demons here, they're going to get him. And they watched, waiting for him to die. And you know what? No ill effect. None. He's an apostle. He's the apostle uh, of these men that he's preaching to. That's one of the things that they're given. Now, I, I've told my kids, we've watched some of these videos. Brother, and look, I'm going to chase the rabbit trail for just a second. Down in the south, there are many snake handling churches. Do you realize this? Many snake handling churches. Many. It's stunning, the number of them. And they get all crazy. They get these venomous snakes out, and they're, you know, they're dancing around up on the stage and all this, and these snakes are you know, doing this thing. And the next thing you know, one of the main leaders, again, you would think you would pause and go, hmm, boy, that, do that doesn't look right. He gets bit. Well, he passes out, right, because it's a venomous snake. And he wakes up, and he says, we've got to take you to the doctor. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. His finger rots off because he refused, and it killed him. What does that tell us, brethren? Well, he was handling the wrong kind of snake, number one. You may want to pull the fangs if you're going to propagate such a fake thing. Amen? But not the apostles. The apostles fake nothing. The Lord walks over them, just as he does Paul, as we're going to get into that verse sooner or later. The handkerchiefs and the aprons, brethren, were not some sort of mystical or magical objects. Not at all. They were simply, brethren, the way, the instruments in which the Spirit of God chose to show his unique and determinate power. That's all it is. You know, you don't have to call, what's his name, a uh, guy they, they went through the dumpster and found out, you know, to get some special cloth, to get some special holy water that he's blessed. You don't have to do that. You don't have to, neither here. Brethren, listen to me as we move on God called them signs why why did he call them signs because they were visible pointers to his supernatural activity that's all it is it's pointing to him actually remember what we just read <laughs> you won't be happy unless you see a sign or a wonder actually the sign and wonder was used to point them to his power to his activities not men's activities none it's about what God is doing the handkerchief and the aprons were not mystical or magical at all. It was simply pointing. He called them wonders because his works are intended, brethren, to create awe and wonder at who he is. This is what it is. 
signs pointing to his glorious work, wonders to make one as it happens. And believe you me, there are many occasions where you just go, that I'm in awe of God. Yes. He calls them wonders or miracles. And that word is dunamis. Literally, we get our English word dynamite from it. Mighty acts designed to demonstrate his distinguishing and unique, distinct power. That's what they are. This is what it certainly is. A truth, brethren, that is laid in our text in the preceding verses that come, a truth that's laid there and a truth that is laid bare for all of the world to see. Let us go now to verses 13 and 14. Here we have these special miracles being done by the hands, the Bible says, of the Apostle Paul by God. And look what happens. Look at Acts chapter 19 there again. Look at verses 13 and 14. Look what the text says there as we're reading it together. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. Careful now. Whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. Brethren, we remember, don't we, that Ephesus is filled to the brim with superstitious people who are indeed steeped deeply into the occult and its practices. Even us today, even in Bismarck, North, all around us, brethren, steeped in superstitious and into the occult activities and practices. This is, where, this is the world that Paul is preaching out of Tyrannius' school at. It's an amazing thing. The use of names and their black magic incantations, and that, that is where this goes, was indeed a common practice. They would call names out, magic names that they had in their books, and we're going to see that when they bring and have a book-burning party, which I'm all for. I know. Ooh, ooh, there he goes. Yeah, I'm all for it. If it's unholy and ungodly and blasphemous, burn them all. You know, that's how they're, that's how they're indoctrinating kids <laughs> through their books. We should have a big old inferno. The use of names in their black magic incantations was indeed a common practice, one that these vagabond Jewish exorcists tried to employ. Now, notice, Luke, the, if you will, the detail that he uses, vagabond. What is a vagabond? I'm glad you asked. It's one who wanders from place to place without, <laughs> rather, a fixed home, which generally leads to an unsettled, to an unsettled, to an irresponsible and an unscrupulous life. This is what Paul describes these men as. These Jewish exorcists, they're nothing but a bunch of unsettled, moving from place to place, which then generates a very unscrupulous life, which is what we're going to see here. It's a stunning description that is so biblical and so true of, this, of these seven men. It is an amazing thing that these seven sons of Siva, they muttered the name, brother. Think of this. The name that is above every name. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Here these exorcists are, these vagabond Jews, uttering and using the name that is above every name to cast, if you will, spells and mutters. That's how the Bible defines this, what they're doing. 
I want you to see this. It's very interesting. They are indeed black magic incantationers. Can I use that terminology? And they use Jesus' name to, again, add another one to their list. It's stunning. Look at Isaiah chapter 8 for just a moment. Look at this. Look how God defines these people, these kind of men, these kind of people who do these sorts of things. Again, they are indeed mutterers. They're simply muttering the name, abusing the name. Huh, we don't see that today, do we? I mean, I watched, I don't know how many videos this week. I spent a little bit of time on YouTube. The number of videos that I watched this week of, again, charlatans using the name of the Lord Jesus in such an unholy way and for such an unholy purpose. Money, money, money. It's amazing. Look at Isaiah chapter 8. Look at verse number 18 there, if you would. Look how God, again, as he's using his preacher, Isaiah. Look at verse number 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. <laughs> there you go again. From the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when he shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that what? Mutter. There's that word. That's exactly the word. These wizards, these sorcerers, are muttering the name that is above every name, trying to use it in their incantations to drive out an evil spirit. And I can't wait to get there, because this evil spirit has something for them. It's amazing. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is what? There is no light in them. That's what you have here. Some vagabond Jewish exorcists who are using the name that is above every name to bring some sort of a spell and drive out some sort of a demon. In fact, the other word that's used in the New Testament, the same word is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, the seducers, they are wizards muttering spells. This is the word. This is what we see. This is what Paul is you know, just amazingly standing there and beholding. They muttered the spell, brothers. They had absolutely no power. This is the thing. Even now, when you watch the fakes and the charlatans, they have no power. They're whirling their coats and knocking, allegedly knocking people backwards and all this kind of stuff. It's, but it's a bunch of fooey and nonsense. Or when I was growing up, and Howard's a little older, I'm, I'm older than he is, but, you know, skullduggery is what this is. Tomfoolery. Skullduggery. It's amazing. They had no power, but more than that, they did not have a relationship with the holy name for which they uttered. That's a problem. When you're using this name and you have no relationship there, you are in trouble. It is truly a stunning thing. And it is about to be borne out in verses 15 and 16. Let's go there. Acts chapter 19. Look at verses 15 and 16. Keeping in mind. This, this was something as I, you know, you, you read over scripture sometimes and you, you bounce over the top of it. And you don't really realize what it's saying. Does that ever happen, or is it just me? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. That happens to me on occasion. This verse I've read numerous times in my lifetime, and it bounced right over me. And maybe it bounced over you too. Look at verses, if you would, there, 15 and 16. Look what the Bible says there. I've got to get there. And the evil spirit answered and said, 
Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are ye? Amazing, isn't it? Look what it says. And the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped. Three things he does. Leaped on them and overcame them too and prevailed against them three so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, brethren, again, a, a, just a casual breezing of reading of these two verses. We can indeed overlook what's actually being said. I want us to notice who revealed. Who revealed these fake people? It was the evil spirit who is revealing their fakeness. That's it's, it's amazing, isn't it? When you consider that, it's an amazing thing. He's revealing the fakes and the frauds that they are. First, with his declarative statement or emphatic statement, whatever you want to say, hey, I know Jesus. I know Paul. And then by his contemptuous question to them, but who are ye? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? I know Jesus. I know Paul. I don't have any idea who you are. Or I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> I don't know who you think you're dealing with here. I mean, so often, don't we, brethren? There was a phase back in the 90s. Bob Larson was his name. Remember, Wendy? We used to listen to Bob Larson. had a radio. He was on the radio station. And, man, every day, every single day, every show he was on, the demons would show up. And they'd start speaking. They'd start speaking through the radio host. They'd start speaking. You know, you'd hear this, oh, down with you, devil, all this kind of stuff. He's calling, you know, and all these kind of just ridiculous, moronic, stupid things. You have no idea the power they have. You realize nowhere in Scripture, <laughs> nowhere, nowhere, not one place. In fact, when Moses was arguing with the devil about the body of Moses, what did he do? He said, the Bible says that he durst not even bring an accusation. He simply turned them over to the Lord. You deal with God. Brethren, there's more power. There's more amazing evil that takes place when you start delving into this stuff. It is a stunning, amazing thing. And here we see this. You have these fakes. Now, Bob Larson would have fit right into this. He was as fake as the days long. Lied like a liar, like a devil, about what was actually taking place. And I, to be honest with you, I used to feel sorry for him. I'd feel embarrassed because it was so ridiculous and such a play and such a ploy, such a fake. They knew the Lord Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 1. They knew the Lord Jesus. It's an amazing thing. This is what always stuns me, brethren, when I look at Scripture. The demons know precisely who he is. The demons know that he is the son of God, that he was indeed God in the flesh, that he is the savior of the world. Think of this, brethren, for a moment. What did James say? Even the demons believe. It's not a saving belief. It's not a saving faith. But they know and they understand who he is. It's stunning. Even the demons believe and shudder. Well, when Jesus was walking upon the earth, there was a whole lot of shuddering going on. Because they know who he is. And this demon knows who he is. <laughs> He's well known. Look what it says, Mark chapter 1. Look there, if you would. Look at verse number 23. Look here what the Bible says. And there was in their synagogue, right amongst them, brother, right in the synagogue, 
right in the religious house of God. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. Now that word, you remember, when we went through the gospel of Mark, that unclean spirit, lewd, foul, it's an impure spirit, cried out. Saying, let us alone. <laughs> Here's Christ standing there. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. The demons know very well who he is. That's why this unclean spirit, this foul spirit, could say, I know who Jesus is. I know exactly who he is. And in fact, time and time and time and time again, over and over and over again, as you remember through the Gospel of Mark, they keep coming and worshiping him and saying, why are you here? What are you going to do with us? In fact, you remember the man that had the legion of devils. And Jesus commanded them into the swine, and down they went. All they could do all along the way was profess who he was. We know who you are. You are the Son of God. You are the Holy One of God. They know him personally. They know who he is. There's no question about that. In fact, as was uttered here, they knew Paul. Look at, again, Acts chapter 16, just remembering and understanding this. Paul does the same thing. There's no trickery. There's no fakeness. There's no fraud. There's no fraudulent anything. This is the power of God working through Paul. This is why they knew him. They knew Christ, and they knew the source, who was Christ, of the power that Paul had. Look at Acts chapter 16 again, just by way of remembrance. Look at verse number 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Here's another devil, another demon, just another evil spirit. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. Remember, God is not going to share his gospel with anyone. These, these demons even telling them that Paul... They are preaching the gospel to you. They are pointing you to Christ. God's having none of it. We'll never have any of it. No evil spirit, anybody is going to ever spread his gospel. Period. They will not participate in that. This is what we see. Which shows us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul being grieved, turned and said unto the spirit, I commend thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now again, brother. It's an amazing thing when you consider this. Paul himself, again, participated, practiced. Actually, these demons know that he is possessed by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. This is something that they are completely aware of. In fact, he knows, again, he understands that the divine power flowing from Christ to Paul is a dunamis. It is indeed the dynamite, the power of a holy God. They understand this. He also knows their deception. He also knows the deception of the seven, if you will. He knows that they are completely powerless over him. That's why when people are constantly monkeying around in this realm, you have no idea. We have no idea the power that they have. And the deception. Think of this, brethren, for a moment. Just the deceiving part of it is enough for me to stick and do what the Bible tells us to do. <laughs> Amen? Which is turn it over to the Lord God. In fact, Acts 19, look at verse 16 there again. 
They are completely powerless. In fact, it's interesting here. I, 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 wrote, I read one commentary where the, the guy wrote, and he goes, oh, it appears that the, uh, that the devil is, 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 the, is the ventriloquist of the man in his body. It's a stunning thing because the devil's speaking, and yet the man is the one who does this. Look there. He jumps on them. The three things we already looked at. They're powerless, completely powerless against him. Verse 16, and the man whom, whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so they, they that fled out of the house naked and wounded. It is clearly a stunning thing. In fact, someone wrote this. The unclean spirit simply said to the seven, you little dwarfs. You can just almost see that. This is serious, but you can almost see this. Stunningly. You Lilliputans, who are you? Lilliputans. I looked, what is that? <laughs> That's how they wrote back then. You Lilliputans, who are you? I know Jesus. I know Paul. I don't even know you. In fact, let me just say this. Your names have never even been talked about in hell yet. Think of that for a moment. He didn't know who they were from one Adam to the next. It's a stunning thing. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. The message, I know. I know who's indwelt with the, that power. And it's not you seven. And it's an amazing thing, brethren, to see and to behold that. Now, there's always, again, God's glorious purposes for everything that takes place. Everything that happens. It always points back to him. It always points back to his work, brethren. If you're an elder this morning, if you're a pastor this morning, if you're a Christian who's being used by God, just remember this. It's not about you. It's about him and what he's doing. And again, we see this here. The, the results are stunning when you, when you consider what has taken place. Look back there at verse number 17 now of Acts chapter 19. <laughs> All of this takes place, and there's kind of a result that takes place which causes it's 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 the effect and cause the kind of thing here so this thing takes place verse 17 and this was known to all the jews and the greeks also dwelling in ephesus and fear we're going to talk about fear for a moment fell on them all in the name listen of the lord jesus was what magnified all of this takes place that the name of the Lord Jesus might be magnified. And again, brethren, this is the, the tale of our narrative here. It's a stunning thing. When the news of the seven sons thrashing spread, Luke tells us here that fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now that word magnified means to make great in representation, to extol, to exalt above everyone else. And when you consider what these men have been doing, and the occult activities that they've been involved in. When one starts to extol the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, something has happened. It's stunning. Now, brethren, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? You can say it. Knowledge. Proverbs, right? The book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, the book of Jesus Christ being personified in wisdom. But listen what else. You ever looked up that phrase, the fear of the Lord? It's a stunning thing. It's been exposed. They've, and, and again, I'm going to use the term, they've experienced the fear of the Lord. When you experience the fear of the Lord, it causes the most holy things to happen to you. 
when you experience the fear of the Lord. Listen, the fear of the Lord prolongeth our days. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Go look it up. It's a stunning thing. We all know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but there's many other things that the fear of the Lord does. And here in our text, for sure, it produces. When one experiences the fear of the Lord, it produces many holy results. I want to look at a couple of them. Because this goes right to... Repentance is an important doctrine. Repentance is an important doctrine. Repentance, can I say it again, is an important doctrine, which is what we're going to see. The fear of the Lord produces repentance. Did you know that? It's a stunning thing. Look with me for just a moment. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. I want you to see some of the holy things that the fear of the Lord produces. One of them, of course, is, as we're going to see, when you fear the Lord biblically, you will hate what he hates. You will. And oh, hate, oh, hate. No, actually, there's a time to hate. There's a time to love. God is very balanced in all of that. But the fear of the Lord causes one to hate evil. Look here, Proverbs chapter 8. Again, look at verse number 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Howard's favorite word is next, pride. In arrogancy, in the evil way, in the froward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord produces a hate for unholy things in the children of God. This is what it does. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Just a couple of them here. That's all we're going to do. You can uh, you know, do your word study on the fear of the Lord. You'll, you'll see it, what it produces, what it does. It produces repentance. It causes one to depart from evil. Look at uh, Proverbs 16. Look at verse number 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from what? Evil. Brethren, this is what takes place. The Lord Jesus Christ, his name is being magnified above all the other names that these books we're about to look at that get burned. And there's lots of names in those books. There's one name that's magnified above them all, and it causes repentance in a city that is polluted and overflowing to the brim with evil, unholy things. Now look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 19 as we bring this to a close. You see the flow, brethren. There's always a flow to what God does. There's always a flow to it. And it points right to him. Points right to his word, right to his preaching. Look there at verses 18, 19, and 20. The Lord Jesus was magnified. Here's what happened. And many that believed came and confessed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Notice it says many. They all didn't, but many did. And you know how we know who the many are? How do we distinguish between the many that did come and some of them that didn't come? By their actions. By their actions, brethren. By their repentance. Again, as we always say, repenting of one's sins, let me just clarify this, cannot save you. You can't repent of all your sins because you don't know all your sins. Repentance, as God calls one, the repenting is a changing of the mind concerning who he is, concerning his work, concerning those things. And then, as I always say, you follow. Go look it up. 
There is no saving for the repenting of your sins because you don't know the ones you haven't even committed. You don't know the ones you should have done you didn't do. You can't get saved that way. But you do get saved by changing your mind concerning what the scripture says, who Christ is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is an important doctrine. It is a lost art. It is a word that's barely ever uttered anymore because nobody wants to offend anybody. Look what happened. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their what? Deeds. There is a repentance that takes place. What did they do? Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of the Lord. Amazing, brethren, when you figure this out. They bring their books to burn them. The books that were full of black and white magic arts. Curious arts, Luke calls them. Demonic stuff. Unholy things, brethren. This was very, 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 if you will, a highly prized possession for these kinds of people. Magic charms, magic names, I mean all of it. These books were full of this stuff for their unholy incantations. And they repented publicly. How? By bringing those books. And you see the value of them. 50,000 pieces of silver. Brethren, let me just try and help us to understand how much that is. One piece of silver was about one day's wage. 50,000 pieces of silver is roughly 137 years of wages that they came and they burned. They repented. They saw the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was magnified. They believed on him. And after their belief, it brought this change, this change of the heart, this change of the mind concerning their magic arts and everything else that they've been doing. And they simply came and had a glorious Conflagration. Have you ever heard of that word? It was a glorious conflagration. I'd never heard of it either. You know, I'm so dumbed down, I had to look it up. <laughs> what exactly is it? Well, a good Puritan preacher used that word. I'm thinking, what does that word mean? He says, what a glorious conflagration. It is, an it is an extensive fire that destroys a great deal of unholy property. It would be, he says. If every city, every town, every state would simply bring these salacious, blaspheming, unholy books, pamphlets, magazines, may I remind you, brethren, how the indoctrination is taking place. It's through these unholy books, this unholy teaching. It's a stunning thing. If they could be piled together and burned. It's an amazing thing. It sounds radical, doesn't it? Well, you know, brethren, I'm an American. I'm thankful to the Lord that I'm an American. I'm thankful that we have a constitution, right? Well, it's degrading and falling apart. But I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian first, and I don't believe that every book has a right to exist. 
unholy, ungodly things should not exist. Oh, uh, are you going to start a theocracy, Mike? Well, I'd like to, except I can't control it. But there's one coming. There's a theocracy coming. You understand that. When Jesus himself will rule by himself as the king of kings. And his kingdom will be, if you will, deleted. Can I use that term? Because people like delete, you know, deleted. It'll be done away with these unholy things in his kingdom. I am waiting patiently for that theocracy. And until then, I wish every town, I think of Keith. Think of Keith and what just took place in that little town of Washburn, North Dakota, stopping that unholy filth from being brought into those into that library. That's one, that's one, it's a great starting place. He stopped such unholy things as Heather has two mommies. They wanted to bring it in and teach this trash to their children. You see the books? This is where it's being done. I'm a Christian first, and I'm an American second. Let me just close with this practical point. We as Christians, brethren, must do the same today. We must remove the books. I'm talking about us personally. Brethren, the Lord, the Lord, you're hiding nothing from him, and neither am I. We must remove the books. We must remove, brethren, these unholy things. We must remove these images, computer files, statues, I don't care what it is, charms, games, all of it. Anything that is connected to anything evil and demonic. Brethren, think of it for a moment. And I think of this, again, just maybe from a political point of view as well. Stomping down the Ten Commandments of God. Many a mayor in Chicago, L.A., New York, although they are reprobate, so they wouldn't be able to think this through, but if you weren't reprobate, you'd like to have a place where thou shall not kill is upheld. Thou shall not, what? Commit adultery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What a holy place it would be. Those rails are in place for our good, brother. It's a stunning thing. Not only should we get rid of them in our own homes, in our own lives, but listen, we should destroy them so that no one else can get a hold of them. <laughs> I remember one time when we, when we moved, just a couple years ago, we had a huge garage sale. And people unwittingly will bring boxes of stuff to your house to sell at your garage sale. You want know what old Mike did? First thing Mike did, if I didn't know it, Vicki and Gina brought it over, I didn't check their box. But I checked every other box. And you know what I found in these boxes? Very unholy things. Amazing. Stunning. Well, there was a couple of books of Mormons in there. There was all kinds of things. You know what I did with them? That's right. Started them on fire. Had a little brick-burning party. You think I'm just going to give them to somebody else? You think I'm just going to throw them out in the trash so somebody else can get a hold of them? No. We should destroy them so that no one else can have their mind polluted with this stuff. It's a stunning thing. In fact, I, close, I keep saying I'm closing. I am. Spurgeon said this, and we'll close. 
you will have enough temptation in your own mind without going after these things. You understand that, right? We all know. Maybe it's just me. I, I like saying, maybe it's just me. Is there any habit, any practice that you have that defiles your soul? Anything unclean, unspiritual, unholy? He says, if Christ loves you and you come to trust in him, you will indeed make short work of it. Have done with it. Have done with it forever. Brethren, this is really what we see. They were stomping out the evil in their community by burning those unholy things, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone. The, the Christ, right, that Paul preached. Where do we find the Christ that Paul preached? Where do we find him, brethren? In my mind, while I have many verses memorized, yes. Think about talking to Harris. You just talk about something. Oh, yeah, it says over here. He's got a mind like I had when I was young. I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> we, were, we were doing Bible trivia last night. Well, I'm doing the dishes. Can I say that? Do, I was helping Wendy, you know, doing the dishes. And uh, I don't remember what the question was. Oh, how many half-brothers did Jesus, or how many brothers did Jesus did get named in the Bible? And you think I could think of it? Man, my mind's gone. Well, we know James, right? But it was gone. Does that ever happen? Maybe it's just me. But we find the Christ that Paul preached. Where? In here. Your mind will waver. Your understanding will change. Your emotions will change, brethren. The Christ that's preached here never changes. He must be magnified. He must be lifted up in the life of the Christian. Even if we look, because I'm telling you, people will watch this, and they're going to think I am insane. We mustn't give a hoot what they think. Christ is first. The holy mind must come. And if that means burning unholy books, then amen, I'm all for it. Let's pray. Father, we, <laughs> we're shocked sometimes. Our, our systems get shocked. And your word is so powerful. And it causes one again to get in line. Father, we thank you this morning for the example that we have seen. We have seen that all of these things are working out for your good. That men who, and women, I, I, I'm sure there was women there, men and women who were steeped deep down in the occult. Man, black magic, white magic, witch, you just go down the list. We're there in that city. And we're going to see, even on as we go, I mean, it's so amazing. Diana, I mean, it's just stunning. But here, we see that there were some lost sheep amongst these magicians, amongst these people who were steeped deep in this stuff. And you, through the preaching of your word, Paul being a faithful minister, preaching the word of God, giving him that special Miracle, those powers to confirm what he was preaching. That Jesus is the only way. 
that Jesus is indeed the king. He, that, that one must believe on the Lord Jesus to be saved. You must. For there is no other name given under heaven by which one must be saved. And Father, we thank you that even there, your work was being accomplished. Your church is being built. In fact, we're going to see as we go, Lord willing, down the road, how again impactful the church that is being built right here, the edifice, the foundation, the groundwork, how important this church was in that whole area. Even the seven that are listed in Revelation, all in that area. And Father, you use them for your glory. And Father, now this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. We thank you for your work, the work of the Holy Spirit as he's moving along. And we, again, just see so many applicable things for our own fellowship here. Well, for the fellowship that you've brought together here. So many things. So, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God will apply it now to our hearts, to our minds, that we may indeed be transformed more and more into the image of your beloved Son. And it is indeed in his name <coughs> the glorious name, the holy name, the name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray and all God's people say.